0: Section 7 of Some Famous Women by Louise Creighton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 5 Rachel, Lady Russell. Rachel Risley was the daughter of the Earl of Southampton and a French Huguenot lady whom he had married when travelling in France and who was renowned for her beauty and virtue. Rachel was born in 1636 she never knew her mother who died when she was an infant her father married again and we know nothing about her relations with her stepmother but we know that she dearly loved her sisters and was very good friends with her stepsister england was passing through troublous times during her childhood on account of the disputes between charles i and his parliament lord southampton was a sensible moderate man and he could not approve of the king's doings But he remained true to him and took his side when the civil war broke out. When the terrible end came and Charles I was beheaded in 1649, Southampton got permission to watch by the king's body during the night after the execution. He is reported to have told a friend that whilst he was watching, at about two o'clock in the morning, he heard a step on the stair and a man entered, muffled in a cloak, and stood by the body. He heard him sigh, cruel necessity, and he knew by the voice that it was Cromwell. Southampton's moderation was so well known that though he had been the king's friend, the parliament did not seize his lands, and he was suffered to live quietly on one of his estates in Hampshire. Rachel was then about thirteen years old, and must have benefited from the companionship of her father during these quiet years we know nothing of her education and she does not seem in after-life to have possessed any learning but no doubt it was from her father she gained the good sense and the deep religious faith which distinguished her through life she was an heiress since her father had no son and only two of his other daughters survived him as was the custom in those days a suitable marriage was soon arranged for her she was only seventeen when she married lord vaughan who died four years afterwards all that is known of her married life is that lady rachel behaved so as to win the love of her husband's family who always remained her friends when her husband died she went to live in hampshire with her sister elizabeth to whom she was deeply attached each of the sisters possessed a fine house in hampshire and when Elizabeth died, both these places, Titchfield and Stratton, belonged to Rachel. Her father had lived to see the restoration of Charles II and to be one of his first ministers, but he was now dead, and Rachel was completely her own mistress. There was no one to arrange a marriage for her, and she was able to choose for herself a man whom she deeply loved. She had known William Russell, the younger son of the Duke of Bedford, for two years before they were married. He had shown his devotion to her for some time, but perhaps because he was a younger son and she an heiress, he hesitated at first to ask her to be his wife. They were married at last in 1669, and fourteen years of perfect happiness began for Rachel the only real sorrow that came to her was the death of her sister whom she described as a delicious friend her other sorrows were her brief separations from her husband when he had to visit his father at woburn william russell's elder brother had died and he was now heir to the dukedom of bedford he was not a brilliant man but he was a very good man devotedly attached to his family and his friends and very anxious to do his duty when they were separated lady russell wrote constantly to him telling him all she heard that might interest him when he had only been gone a few hours she wrote that she could not let this first post-night pass without giving my dear man a little talk once when she had gone over to tunbridge wells to drink the waters she wrote after a toilsome day there is some refreshment to be telling our story to our best friends i have seen your girl well laid in bed and ourselves have made our suppers upon biscuits a bottle of white wine and another of beer mingled my uncle's way with nutmeg and sugar beds and things are all very good here our want is yourself and good weather they had three children two girls and a boy and her letters are full of allusions to the eldest our little girl is very well and extremely merry and often calls papa She gets new pretty tricks every day. And another time, your girls are very well. Miss Rachel has prattled a long story, but I must omit it. She says Papa has sent for her to Woburn, and then she gallops and says she has been there, and a great deal more. Lord Russell was in Parliament, but at first he did not take much part in public affairs. He had no ambition, and liked his quiet home life better than the bustle of public life. For many years he sat silent in Parliament, but his strong love of liberty and of the Protestant religion at last drove him to be more active. There was much discontent with the government of Charles the Second and with the favor which he showed to the Roman Catholics. Lord Russell joined himself with a number of others to whom the nickname of Whigs was given, who were anxious to maintain the rights of Parliament, and to prevent the King's brother james duke of york who was a roman catholic from being considered the heir to the throne lady russell was very anxious lest her husband should do or say anything rash and even once sent him a little note to the house of parliament begging him to be silent people were then very excited and very bitter against those who thought differently from them an impostor named titus oates pretended to have discovered a popish plot to destroy the king and by his false accusations caused many innocent men to be put to death a few years afterwards others pretended to have discovered a whig plot to kill charles the second and his brother lord russell had not joined in any of the violent accusations made against those opposed to him nor had he been aware of any plot but he was a man of great influence one of the leaders amongst the whigs and he too was anxious to keep james from succeeding to the throne when people were angry and alarmed at the supposed whig plot the king and his friends thought it a good opportunity to get rid of some of the whig leaders there was one amongst them lord howard who was ready to secure his own safety by betraying the others lord russell knew that he was in danger and one day a man was set at his front gate to watch and to prevent his going out. But there was no one at his back gate, so that he could easily have escaped had he wished. This was perhaps what his enemies wanted. But he felt that to escape would be the same thing as confession of his guilt. He sent his wife out to ask the opinion of his friends, and they agreed with him. So he stayed quietly at home, and the next day he was fetched to appear before the king's council and was afterwards sent as a close prisoner to the tower. He knew the fury of his enemies and said to his servant that they would have his life, and when the servant answered that he hoped they would not have the power, he said, Yes, the devil is loose. From that moment, Lord Russell allowed himself no hope. He looked upon himself as a dying man and turned his thoughts away from this world to another world. But his friends of course were eager to do everything to save him we can imagine what the suffering of his wife must have been she who had found it hard to bear a separation of a few days had now to face the terrible probability that he would be condemned to death for high treason her first letter to him in the tower was sent concealed in a cold chicken afterwards she seems to have been able to communicate with him more easily her courage was equal to her love, and she set to work at once to try to collect evidence in his favor. Her efforts never ceased during the fortnight which passed before he was brought to trial, and she got hold of every possible fact that could be urged in his defense. Moreover, she was brave and self-controlled enough to determine to be present at his trial. She wrote to ask his Leave, saying, your friends believing i can do you some service at your trial i am extremely willing to try my resolution will hold out pray let yours but it may be the court will not let me however do you let me try when lord russell was brought before the bar at the old bailey he asked for pen ink and paper and the use of the papers that he had and said may i have somebody to write to help my memory He was told that he might have one of his servants to write for him, and he answered, My wife is here, my lord, to do it. The Lord Chief Justice said, If my lady please to give herself the trouble. So Lady Russell was allowed to be at his side to help him. He was accused of conspiring against the king's life, and of plotting to raise a rebellion in England. Both of these accusations he firmly denied. The witnesses against him were men of despicable character, and there is no doubt that their evidence was false, but the jury found him guilty, and he was condemned to death as a traitor. There was only a week left before he was to be executed. His wife and his friends could not give up hope. His father offered the king fifty thousand pounds if he would spare his life, and begged him not to put his grey hairs in sorrow to the grave. People of all kinds interceded with Charles, but it was all in vain. Lady Russell never ceased her efforts. It was suggested that she should try to surprise the king in the park and throw herself at his feet, but this does not seem to have been possible. At her earnest entreaty, Lord Russell wrote to the king asking his pardon for having been present at any meetings which may have been unlawful or provoking to the king. But Charles never hesitated he seems to have regarded lord russell as a dangerous person lord russell himself was absolutely resigned to his fate and only wished to be left in peace to prepare for his death every day he was visited by a clergyman dr burnet who was left an account of his last days and lady russell was also much with him she did not distress him by her lamentations but showed a greatness of spirit which was an immense comfort to him Sometimes when he spoke to her the tears would come into his eyes and he would quickly change the subject. Once he said that he wished she would give up beating every bush for his preservation, but he realized that it would help her afterwards to think that she had done everything in her power, just as it helped her during those sad days to have something to do. He was always cheerful and ready to talk and even joke with those who came to see him, But he gave his mind chiefly to prayer and religious thoughts and to preparing a statement of his opinions which he wished to be distributed after his death on the last evening of his life he signed this paper and sent it to be printed then some of his friends and his children came to see him and he was calm and cheerful with his children as usual he bade his wife stay to supper with him saying stay and sup with me let us eat our last earthly food together He talked cheerfully during supper on various subjects, and particularly of his two daughters. When a note was brought to Lady Russell with some new plan for his deliverance, he turned it into ridicule, so that those who were with him were amazed. At ten o'clock Lady Russell had to leave him. He kissed her four or five times, and she, brave to the last, kept her sorrow so within herself that she gave him no disturbance by their parting after she was gone he said now the bitterness of death is past and he talked long about the blessing she had been to him and what a comfort it was that in spite of her great tenderness she had never wished him to do a base thing in order to save his life he said what a week should i have passed if she had been crying on me to turn informer and be a lord howard he thanked god for giving him such a wife and said that it was a great comfort to him that he left his children in such a mother's hands and that she had promised to him to take care of herself for their sakes then he turned to think of the great change that was before him and at last went to bed and slept soundly those who were with him next morning were amazed at the temper he was in he thanked god that there was no sort of fear nor hurry in his thoughts and so he prayed and waited till they came to take him in his coach to his execution he was still cheerful as he went singing softly a psalm to himself as they came near his own house and then turned from it into another street he said i have often turned to the other hand with great comfort and now i turn to this with greater but as he looked toward his house some tears were seen to fall from his eyes so he remained calm and cheerful till he laid his head on the block and all his troubles were over. We do not know and we can hardly bear to think how his wife passed those terrible hours after she had parted from him. Seven years afterwards, she wrote, There was something so glorious in the object of my biggest sorrow, I believe that in some measure kept me from being then overwhelmed. She was roused only a few days after Lord Russell's death, to defend his memory since it was asserted that the paper which he had written before his death and which had been printed and widely read was not his but had been written by dr burnet she wrote to the king describing herself as a woman amazed with grief and begged him to believe that he who in all his life was observed to act with the greatest clearness and sincerity would not at the point of death do so false a thing as to deliver for his own what was properly not so. Still Dr. Burnett was regarded with such suspicion that he thought it wise to leave the country for a time. Lady Russell left London and went with her children to Woburn, the place of the Duke of Bedford, her father-in-law. She had kind friends to help her in her sorrow. The Duke of Bedford cherished her and her children with tender affection, and for long she made her home with him he addressed her in his letters as his dearest daughter and signed himself your most affectionate father and friend a clergyman dr fitzwilliam who had been her father's chaplain and had known her from infancy wrote often to her and to him she poured out her sorrow as to one who had known both her and her husband and had seen their life together and therefore would be patient with her whilst her disordered thoughts and her amazed mind made it difficult for her to speak of anything but her grief. She had promised her husband that she would live for her children, and to their care she now devoted herself, determining to teach them herself, and we do not hear that her daughters ever had any other teacher. Mr. Hoskins, her lawyer, helped her in the management of her affairs, with most tender sympathy, and tried to persuade her by degrees to take some interest in them, so that she might not be too entirely absorbed in her sorrow. He told her that great persons had great trials, but also had more opportunity than common people to fit their minds to bear them. Her children were too young to know what they had lost, and she was determined to do all in her power for them, and particularly for her son, that he might not feel, if he grew to be a man, that it would have been better for him had he had a mother less ignorant or less negligent. She said that she had no choice in any matter for herself, and could not like one way better than another so long as what was done was for the good of those young creatures whose service was all the business she had in the world but she hardly realized how dear her children were to her till the serious illness of her little boy showed her what it would cost her to part with him when he recovered she felt that she had indeed something still to live for and that she might be blessed with some joy and satisfaction through her children Her little boy was heir to his grandfather, the Duke of Bedford, and on all matters connected with his education she consulted the Duke. Neither of them wished to make him begin study too soon, but Lady Russell was anxious that he should have a French tutor, that he might learn the language. There were many Huguenots in England who had fled from the persecutions in France, and by engaging one of them she was able both to do a charity and to be of use to her son only two years after lord russell's execution charles the second had died and been succeeded by his brother james the II. second james the second's attempt to upset the authority of parliament and to rule by his own will alone led to the rebellion which in sixteen eighty eight made his daughter mary and her husband william of orange king and queen of england whilst these stirring events were passing lady russell was living quietly in the country her only fear was lest her children should run any risk. Once things were settled, she knew that she could count upon the friendship of William and Mary, and at the Duke of Bedford's wish, she went with him to London. She was full of thankfulness for the change, and wrote that it was difficult to believe that it was more than a dream. Yet it was real and an amazing mercy. Her husband's friend, Dr. Burnett, came over with Mary and was made Bishop of Salisbury, one of the first acts of the new government was to reverse the sentence passed on lord russell and the house of commons decreed that his execution had been a murder lady russell was now in a position of influence and importance but she did not change her quiet way of living a paper that she wrote about this time for her children shows her loving anxiety for them in it after bidding them never to forget their prayers morning and evening She tells them about her own prayers and how she always carried with her a little piece of paper on which she noted her faults, that she might ask forgiveness for them. In this way she had gained a habit of constant watchfulness. One of her anxieties had been to arrange suitable marriages for her children, and it was a great joy to her when her husband's closest friend, the Duke of Devonshire, proposed that his son should marry her eldest daughter. When this marriage was decided on, Lady Elizabeth was only fourteen, and Lord Cavendish, not sixteen. Lady Russell had to go to London to make the necessary arrangements, and felt it right to go more into society, though she said that going to parties was hard for one with a heavy and weary mind. The marriage was delayed by the bride having an attack of measles, and when it did take place, the young couple only spent three weeks together under Lady Russell's care, and then Lord Cavendish was sent to finish his education by travelling on the continent for two years. A few years later, Lady Russell married her younger daughter to the eldest son of the Duke of Rutland, the best match in England. When her son was only fifteen, a seat in Parliament was offered her for him, but she refused because she thought him too young. She had, however, already arranged a marriage for him to a girl in whose education she took the deepest interest he was married when he was fifteen but his wife stayed at home with her mother and he went to oxford for a year's study during which his mother often visited him at seventeen he was sent to travel abroad as lady russell believed that to live well in the world it is for certain necessary to know the world well during his travels he caused her some anxiety for he took to gambling and lost so much money that when he came home she had to ask her grandfather for money to pay his debts shortly afterwards his grandfather died and he became duke of bedford now it seemed as if lady russell's anxieties were over since her three children were all happily married but sorrow followed her to the last her son in the fullness of life and health was seized with smallpox the haunting terror of those days before vaccination was discovered. His wife and children had to fly from the infection, and only his mother, with her never-failing courage, stayed to soothe his last moments. Shortly afterwards, her younger daughter, the Duchess of Rutland, died. Once again, a demand was made on Lady Russell's courage. Her only remaining daughter, the Duchess of Devonshire, had just given birth to a child. It was feared that if she heard of the death of her sister, the shock might be fatal. So her mother stayed with her and did not let her learn the truth, telling her that she had that day seen her sister out of bed, by which she really meant that she had seen her in her coffin. Another trouble of Lady Russell's later life was the fear of blindness, but she bore this calamity with patience till an operation restored her sight. She lived till the age of 88, when she died after a short illness, watched over by the loving care of her only remaining child. During a long life, her courage, her love, her faith had never failed her in spite of her sore trials. It is interesting to remember that three of the chief families of England, the houses of Devonshire, Bedford, and Rutland, look back to this pure, warm-hearted woman and her murdered husband as their common ancestors. End of section 7